Welcome to the QKB Community Spotlight. Queensland Kettlebell is a friendly gym in East Brisbane practicing strength for life. Find out a little bit about what our makes our awesome members tick, their hints, tips and why they do what they do. My guest tonight is Mick McMillan and I'm Piers Quire. Good afternoon, Nick. Hi, Piers. Uh, look, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you found our community and what you do during the week. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a corporate lawyer here in Brisbane. We've been living here about three and a half years. Um, I found the community through uh, just the website. I had messed around a little bit with kettlebells, um, got a couple at home um, for a few years, but I'd never sort of been able to stick to a program or, you know, do it regularly enough. Um, I'd been doing a lot of cycling, particularly before we moved to Brisbane, which I enjoyed, but um, the summer before last, I just had a series of injuries I inflicted on myself while we were getting our house ready to sell, um, just with machinery and moving furniture and the sort of stuff that you do. And um, I got to thinking I'm just a bit young to be getting that kind of fragile. You know, each mm. thing was one of those things that it wasn't a big deal. It took seconds and took me a couple of weeks to get over. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, I've got to get serious about getting a bit stronger. So um, I... Made, sent, sent off the email, came along to a beginner workshop, and um, after that I was kind of hooked. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was kind of a nice surprise for me because you were quite open when you arrived that, look, I don't think I've got time to do this on a regular basis. I'm just going to do the beginner workshop and, um, and then train on my own at home. Um, yeah, and it's been a funny thing. I, I didn't think I did. Um, but it's funny how you can just sort of make time for things and... Um, I guess I'd never really been an early riser, although, you know, moving to Brisbane, you do sort of get into that a bit more. Mm. Um, but, and yeah, I just came along, you know, kind of three times a week, the first couple of weeks um, to the core sessions. And I thought, mm. well, you know, I want to get the most out of this and come along a bit more. And um, it's funny how you adapt, you know, now it's, you know, a normal and, and very enjoyable part of the day. Mm. Yeah, you you and Brent seem to have uh, have staked out that that five thirty. So it's you guys just about every morning. Yeah, well, I guess that takes us to the kind of normal day bit, which I think I kind of missed on the way through there. Um, mm. I've got three kids who are thirteen, eleven, and eight, and they're all very busy with their school and activities and things. And um, you know, the corporate council lifestyle, while it's not as you know time intensive as, as working in private practice used to be, um, it's still pretty full on. So mm. um, I've really got to that point where if I want to exercise, it needs to be the first thing I do. Yeah. And um, so that's worked quite well. You know, Brent and I get in there and um, we're doing our thing and then I um, get home, help a few people get ready and get off to various activities and things and then lucky enough to live pretty centrally. So I've got a nice walk through mm. the parklands into the office. Yeah, lovely. Um, and what inspired you to become a lawyer? Um, it was really a series of accidents. Um, it was kind of something I went and studied because it suited the things I was best at when I was at school. And um, I think like a lot of people, you know, you sort of get captured by um, what seems the most dramatic and what you see in the news. And, you know, I wanted, well, I thought I wanted to be a criminal lawyer um, going through uni. Mm. Um got out and uh, tried a little bit of that and some 
general practice stuff in a firm where we did all kinds of litigation and um, actually discovered that it wasn't very much fun at all. Mm. And then, you know, before I really had sorted out what I was going to do, um, I decided I was living in Auckland at this stage, where I grew up and went to uni, um, mm. that I was going to go off to the UK and see a bit of the world and um, turned up there and um, applied for jobs for a few weeks and then something came up where they said do you want to work for a small firm that specializes in construction law and i thought well i don't know right. sounds like it might be interesting um yep. they've got a three-month contract to work on an arbitration mm. and um i went along and um got the interview and um ended up staying there 13 years oh wow <laughs> and uh, yeah discovered that you know construction was really quite interesting and um you know, there was quite a lot of travel involved, and um, I, I guess I've always had a bit of a fascination with kind of big machinery and big projects and, and that kind of thing, and sort of having a hand in that sort of thing, you know, helping to make these things happen, you know, can be quite satisfying. Yeah. And, um, you know, you get to sort of work with all different kinds of disciplines, really, you know, people, engineers, commercial people, you know, um, a whole range of specialties. So, you know, um, so it wasn't something I particularly planned, but, um, you know, generally it, it's quite interesting. So, so were you in London for 13 years? Um, it was. I was in London for 11. Okay. Um, I met my wife, who's also from New Zealand, um, over there, and um, we sort of got quite settled in and had kids. And um, But after a while, um, Rachel had done a year's exchange in France when she was in her last year of high school. Mm. And I'd done French at school and always been interested in the place. And um, we, you know, had a lot of holidays there when we lived in London. And sure. we decided that we wanted to go and live there. So um, the last two years we were in Europe, um, I sort of had a sabbatical from work that wasn't mm. a sabbatical. In yeah. that, um, I, I persuaded them that I could be based down there for a year and... Um, spend four days every other week in the office and yep. work from home the rest of the time. Sure. And so we moved down there, put the kids in local school, and they had the full immersion language learning experience. Yeah. Um, and then after a year doing that, we were having so much fun that I said, can I keep doing this? And they said, no. <laughs> and um, so I did nine months of fly in, fly out, um, yeah. up first thing on a Monday morning, get back late on a Friday night. Um, and um, that wasn't you know, terribly sustainable. No. But so we ended up having two years there, which was great, living in a smallish town where we made some really good friends and had the sea and the mountains right there. And, uh, you know, um, it, it was a really great time. Mm. And then uh, through, a, again, a series of sort of not quite coincidences, you know, um, we ended up in Brisbane. Wow. I'm like, so for me, discovering things like that, I had no idea that, that you'd spent all that time overseas um, in Europe. I kind of assumed that your wife had gone New Zealand, maybe somewhere else in Australia, Brisbane. Um, so that's that's really cool to, to discover that you're you've lived a fairly um, like that's a pretty cool adventure. It was actually a funny thing because I was born in New South Wales, but moved to New Zealand when I was two. Um, yeah. And it was actually quite a performance when we arrived here, um, being Australian but never having studied or worked here. 
and just trying to get into the system it was it was funny you know um rachel and the kids all had medicare cards and all that sort of thing sorted out long before i did because yeah. they sort of didn't know what to do with me <laughs> <laughs> and um it was all a bit bizarre but yeah. um yeah there we go so yeah it was you know fascinating to spend that time there and learn the language and we try and keep that up at home um in fact our youngest child has changed schools this year she's doing a bilingual program that they have at Tingalpa State School um where they spend half their time uh doing their usual school work in French mm -hmm. um great which she seems to be enjoying and it you know it keeps it up it's uh I can tell you from having done it the other way around that it's a great thing to learn a language when you're really young. Mm. It's much uh, easier than doing it as an adult. Absolutely. Uh, what's the one number one thing that you do that you help feels to yeah, that you feel helps to make your life awesome? Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a really interesting question. Um, I don't know that I could sort of nail it down to one thing. I think, you know, um, you touched earlier a bit about sort of work-life balance, I think. Mm. And um, for me, I guess I've always been a bit of a dabbler. You know, um, I played lots of different sports when I was younger. Um, never anything to a very high level, mm. you know. Um, speak another language, but not particularly fantastically. And um, I guess, you know, talking of the work stuff I was talking to someone just last night um, saying about how it's become much more specialized over recent years you know I guess, I guess like a lot of professions but I've always really fought hard against that hmm. I've always sort of hated the idea of being pigeonholed and I've always tried to sort of keep other things going you know work-wise be involved in different aspects of what we do so hmm. um, for me I guess you know making life awesome is having a bit of that variety in there you know, it's um, doing the kettlebells and the strength work and also getting out and doing a, a very little bit of endurance stuff um, with the children. One of them's quite a good runner and triathlete and that sort of thing. Mm. And I sort of go along and, uh, you know, have a bit of a go. Mm. And then, you know, trying to keep up, trying to keep up another language. And, you know, uh, so I guess it's sort of, I've always resisted the kind of the one thing. Sure. So for, for you, for you almost the, the thing that makes your life interesting and enjoyable is actually the diversity that you manage to integrate within it. Yeah, I think um, I, th I think that's pretty pretty true, really. Um, do you have a specific goal at the moment? Uh, it, it, as I read this question, I realise that the first four people that I've spoken to are all working towards a strong first cert. Do you have any yeah. other goals at the moment? Um, well, that's obviously a pretty big thing. Um, you know, it's it's quite a commitment, I think, going from where I am, or certainly where I was a year ago, to, mm. to be there by November. Um, so, yeah, in terms of other... Well, here's a silly little one. Um, I've entered another one of these um, super sprint triathlons that my son Tom's doing um, in three weeks time and um, my goal there is just to get through to the end of that and not embarrass myself really um, yeah. which given what a tragic swimmer I am um, is going to be a challenge um, so yeah there'll be a few little things along the way um, uh, work wise um, 
no, it's again, it's a lot of kind of different projects and little bits and pieces that I'm trying to do. Um, you're probably starting to detect a theme here. <laughs> I haven't got the kind of one big thing um, work-wise either. Um, so yeah, it's kind of hard not to come back to the uh, the strong first at the moment. Sure. Um, okay. Well, and the next question kind of talks a little bit about the books that you're um, that you're looking to to. Sorry, I've got a daughter who's popping her head around the corner and um, being a bit distracting at the moment. So I'll just ask her to take off, um, and I'll get back to it. So here we are. What was the last book you read, and what was the best thing about it? I actually finished it just last night, and um, I mentioned this on the on the Telegram page we have the other day. It's called The Emperor of Nihon Jar, and it's part of the Rangers Apprentice series, yeah. which is a series of um, not quite fantasy. There's not sort of any magic in it, but mm. um, books that are set in a kind of alternate version of medieval Europe, I guess, and they awesome. follow these characters who are knights and archers and that sort of thing who go off and have all these adventures in, in different places. Mm. And um, it's sort of a young adult series written by a guy based down in Sydney. And the best thing about it's been that we started with the first one as an audio book. Um, mm. Back in October or November, we, we had a weekend up on the Sunshine Coast. And um, the whole family has been going through all this as audio books and, and reading the different books. So um, it's been, you know, we've not really had that before, that something that, you know, all five of us are kind of sharing and, and working our way through together. And that's been, you know, really fun. Mm, awesome. Yeah, I really get into the young adults, uh, the young adults books. I, I know that there's a couple of series by Suzanne Collins that I really like. Um, I particularly like the first two Hunger Games books, but much better than those were, were a set of books um, called Gregor the Overlander. Um, and that's five books that I thought were just fantastic. Um, alongside those, the Percy Jackson ones are, are really great. But I'll have to check out the Rangers Apprentice series. Yeah, and I'll have to check out the ones you've mentioned because the one I've just finished is book 11 out of the series of 12. <laughs> so um, I'm sort of starting to think about what's going to come next to, to you know, fill that gap. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've, I've only read the first, uh, the first series of Percy Jackson. Because I heard that, that after that it becomes pretty poor, but it's uh, that first first four or five books uh, well worth the time. I'd, I'd encourage you to go that way next. Okay, yeah, I'll certainly keep that in mind. Um, favorite food? What is it? Oh, um, I'll try and give you a straight single answer this time. Um, I think you know you can't go past a good steak, really. I guess that's what I sort of keep coming back to um, yeah. if we go out to eat. Although um, I have a particular love of Lebanese food, and um, just before the call, we were having a look down the road um, on South Bank, and our favourite little Lebanese cafe has just moved around the corner from Grey Street, mm. and um, they do fantastic vine leaves, you know, the, the, the stuffed vine leaves with rice and herbs and that sort of thing in them. So um, that one's going to be open again in, at the weekend, they say. So. Um, I'm getting down there for some of those. I'll, I'll have to... Do you know the name of it? What? Yeah, it's called Baba Ganoush. Baba Ganoush, like the dip. Yes, yeah, yeah, named after the dip. Okay. And they do really good coffee and um, 
you know, all those meze type things and, you know, mixed grills and that sort of thing. It's a, you know, okay. good place just for a coffee or, or somewhere to eat. And, uh, yeah, we tend to go there quite a lot. Well, that's good, good info because I, I quite enjoy the Mediterranean or Mediterranean, Middle Eastern um, type food. Well, Turkey, Turkey's kind of a bit of both, isn't it? It is, yeah. There's a lot of the same influences. Mm. Um, but, you know, a bit of the European influence too. Mm. And the thing, you know, uh, Rachel and I spent three weeks there um, years ago before we had before we had kids and um, had some great meals. Um, the thing I hadn't really appreciated was that they have such a great climate and mm. the produce is so good. Mm. You know, all the fresh vegetables and, and things. Mm. In fact, there's a um, stew on the stove tonight, a fish stew that was kind of a thing we picked up off... Um, one of the places we stayed when we were there. Oh, awesome. It was one of those little sort of B&B places and what they gave us for dinner was so good that we insisted that they show us how to make it. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Mm. So I um, I dare say that we've, we've already covered off on your hobbies, but with all the variety in your life, is there anything in particular that you might not have mentioned yet? Um. The hobby I would like to get back to is music. Um, I played classical guitar when I was young, you know, school age, uni, mm. and um, did a little bit of, uh, I, I played the bass as well, never sort of in any bands that went anywhere, but just sort of, you know, with a few friends and, you know, did a few things with that. And um, I would really like to get back to that. In fact, um, Rachel and I have had a sort of, packed for ages that we're both going to learn the piano um, which the kids are doing at the moment and I've always wanted to, to have a crack at that and I'm just not quite getting started with it but yeah in, in terms of a hobby I'd like to kind of revive and get back into that that would be it hmm okay it's uh, it's it's funny we have so many people with a musical background at the gym um, and I was trying to figure out what it was that seemed to attract people with that sort of um, mindset to come and train. Because we've got to, we, we we must have at least five people, and probably probably more who are who've earned money on a regular basis and, and even supported themselves using music at one point or another. Um, and I was reading a book from a guy called Mihai Csikszentmihalyi called Flow. And he talks about how mm. people, like a lot of people take, or when people take pride in, in the process and in learning and in doing things right, then they tend to get into this flow state. And I think musicians probably do that a lot. And that, yeah. that sort of mindset is something that we tend to carry along a little bit um, with our training. It's funny you say that because I was actually thinking about that just the other day, um, and yeah, I, I've I haven't read his work directly, but I've, I've certainly heard the concept. And I, there's that idea that you're doing something quite absorbing, so you're not particularly conscious of what you're doing, but you're quite occupied in it. And mm. um, I think you know, certainly for me, one of the things I enjoy about the kettlebells is that emphasis on technique, and it does kind of occupy the mind and you know give you that sense of achievement i guess a bit like learning a piece of music or mm. 
learning something you didn't know how before. There's plenty to kind of keep you engaged um, compared to, say, training with machines or, you know, um, some of the other things that people do. So I think that could be, that might be part of it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why do you, and we've covered this again a little bit because we kind of, kind of rambled and, and traveled along different paths as we've, we've chatted, but why do you choose to train at, at, at the gym with us? Well, I think that last one was a really good kind of segue into that. And um, it was really the segmental roles that got me um, mm. at the beginning workshop. Um, you know, we did a few of the kettlebell lifts and it was really good, but kind of what I sort of hoped or expected it would be. The kind of added bonus was the OS stuff. And, um, you know, so there's a bunch of reasons I, I wanted to pursue that and it's worked really well in terms of, you know, that mobility and, you know, a lot of the issues that I had from a lot of cycling and a lot of sitting at a desk, you know, but it addresses the strength as well. I think it is that focus on technique um, and moving well. And, you know, the thing that really strikes me, speaking of numbers of people, is the number of you know, health professionals, you know, that train at the gym. And I think, you know, that's kind of a really good sign. Um, the people like that think it's a, a good means of training mm. and certainly, you know, learn a lot from training with people like Laura and Brent and, you know, the others who've done a lot of these certificates and, um, you know, the, the courses that are along the way. Um, the other thing I like is just the quirkiness. Well, okay, that, that's probably not a good way of describing it, <laughs> but um, the fact that it's not, you know, um, a regular box kind of gym is actually really appealing. And um, again, I was kind of thinking the other day that I kind of have this idea that if for whatever reason we sort of went around to your house and trained in your backyard, um, mm. it's kind of got a bit of that feel to it. You've got, you yeah. know, Abby there playing her games and the dog and um, the coffee machine going. And, you know, I was looking around the other morning and thought, you know, at what other gym could you be listening to two guys playing ACDC songs on the cello um, <laughs> <laughs> as your training music? Mm. Well, um, you know, Chris is working the coffee machine and, uh, you know, cranking out those great coffees and um, you're doing all this um, really sort of carefully planned uh, movement work and, and the kettlebell lifts. I think, you know, um, it just kind of ticks all the boxes for what I think is fun and, you know, what suits my training goals. Yeah, look, I think quirky is probably a fair fair description of the gym. It's, it's quite an eclectic mix of things that that I like or that other people have liked and that we've kind of discovered fit within the, for want of a better term, the milieu of what we do. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, and that's something I really like is that you and Rach and Maddie and Nick and, you know, everybody, the, your personalities really come through mm. in, in the way things are there. And that's a really good thing. It's interesting and satisfying and you know the focus that you place i should have mentioned too you know the focus that you place on it being a community is something which i, I really value yeah awesome and so next question if you could have any superpower what would you have uh i think it would be being able to fly yeah i've always you know I, i've never quite lost that thing that you have as a kid of just sort of wanting to be able to flap your arms and fly off into the sky you know Always, you know, go and fly somewhere on an aeroplane, love looking out the window and just that perspective you get of being up above things. 
and uh, yeah, if I if I could have that, I think that would be awesome. Yeah, awesome. That's um, that's kind of cool. It's it's funny when you shift to the point where no one gives you the traditional answers. That when you actually hear those sorts of answers, they they're quite refreshing. Um, so being yeah. able to fly is is a really cool superpower to to bring up. Again, you know, something I was thinking of the other day is you know the cycling and why did I enjoy that? And I think part of it, you know, even if it wasn't the health benefits, I've always just loved that feeling of kind of gliding along or, you know, freewheeling down a hill, you know, um, just that just that kind of gliding sensation. And I think it's probably kind of related. Hmm. Yeah, I um, I remember coming back from, from Wanaka um, and I'd been skiing, not skiing, I'd been snowboarding just uh, just on one of the mountains near there and coming back and just kind of missing that ability to just glide down the mountain and feel mm. the wind just kind of embracing your whole body as you you almost aimlessly travel down just enjoying the, the comforting movements of the board. Yeah, yeah, very similar sensation to skiing or snowboarding or whatever as well. Yeah, I'm not, not good enough at cycling to experience that yet. <laughs> so, look, that, yeah. that's uh, that's the majority of, of the questions that I had. Normally here I'd cover upcoming events, um, but we really don't have a lot over the next little bit. Um, there'll be another another training event for the guys who are preparing for cert, um, and we always have beginner workshops coming up, but there's nothing in particular in the next... Uh, week or two that, that's worth mentioning. Um, the other thing that I like to do here is um, mention some of the things we've talked about, um, and that the the idea that that you're too young to be fragile that you mentioned early on. Um, I actually really want people to to get that idea into their their brain that you don't have to get old, you don't have to feel old. My dad's. 68 and he's recently started training on a regular basis and you know what as far as I'm concerned dad at 68 is still too young to be fragile um, I, yeah. I, would, I, I don't want him to have to suffer aging unnecessarily and we know that, that getting strong and maintaining your lean muscle mass is going to stop a lot of the things that make you become fragile even at 68 yeah, it reminds me of a saying. I did a bit of Pilates at one stage when we were living in the UK, and I remember the instructor saying that Joseph Pilates, who founded all that, had the saying that if you're 60 and your spine's flexible, you're young, mm. and if you're 30 and your spine's stiff, you're old. Mm. Yep, and that's it's very true. Like it's time, like our our chronological age, really isn't that relevant. Um, if we're doing a lot of things that offset the typical uh, outcomes associated with it. Um, and I feel really sad when I have friends who are, you know, 30, 35, 40, who are starting to say, I'm old, can't do that, dodgy knees, whatever. You know, it's there's stuff that we can do if it's a priority for us that will make a lot of that stuff go away. 
Yeah, and I can say from my experience, I, I've certainly found that that is really true and really works over the last year. Mm. We did the um, the, cert, the OS uh, assessment in the uh, cert training the other Sunday, and it was really interesting to look back to where I was on those same movements this time last year. Mm. And, um, you know, without having done anything crazy or, you know, terribly hardcore, the difference is really huge. Mm. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that we touched on was that uh, that variety is the spice of life. Um, you know, that for some people who feel like they're stuck in a rut, if they were to apply some of the things that that you've talked about, um, learning a new language, trying to visit a new place, um, you know, taking taking whatever opportunities crop up and running with them, seems to have been a bit of a theme from from what you've talked about. Um, across this this interview, yeah, I think that's true. And those those big risks, like um, just going and moving and spending that time in France, or, or okay. indeed awesome. coming here, you know, um, are, are things that have really paid off. Mm. Yeah, um, the Rangers Apprentice series. I'm gonna gonna try and get that on my Kindle. Um, yep, good fun. And I am going to go and visit Baba Ganoush sometime after this weekend to try out their coffee and some of their mixed grills because uh, I love a good mixed grill. Uh, yep. <laughs> it's really good. Might so, see you there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, who knows, I may end up spending a lot of time there if, I, if it ends up being as good as it sounds. Um, the, the other thing that I wanted to say quickly before we finish up is... Our intro music and our exit music is actually from uh, from Nick and Michael, Nick Torpy and Michael uh, Rogers' band, the Barksdale Brass Band. So they, they've kindly provided that, um, and I will get them to furnish me with a link so that if anyone likes the, the sound of our own show and exit music, that they can check out those guys. Barksdale Brass Band. Um, to find out a little bit more about them. If you like what we do, please follow the podcast on iTunes, like our Facebook page, and get in touch. If you don't, please flick me an email so that I can help to make this better. Um, thank you very much for your time, Nick. You're welcome. It's been good to chat. And, uh, and yeah, it's been a pleasure. I've, I've really thoroughly enjoyed it. We've, uh, it's by far the longest interview to date, but I think it's been well oh, no. worth the time. Um, so thank you again and uh, and I'll see everyone next week thanks peace